there, everybody. You are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. My name is Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this time, we are taking a look at something that Liz brought to the table. This is a graphic novel called Snapdragon by Kat Lay. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce the last name. L-E-Y-H. Um, you want to tell me how this came onto your radar and how you came across this in the first place? I'm curious. Um, it was on the new Golden Dome list, which is for um, grades 4 through 8 um, in the state of Vermont. It was The Golden Dome um, list is what used to be the Dorothy Canfield Fisher list, but they changed the name officially recently um, through a long bureaucratic and um, voting process. I was going to say, that took about two years, didn't it? Yeah, for a while it was just the middle grade award list. Um, I think for like about a year or so. And then they officially changed it, I think in October. And I think actually there's a whole group called like the Friends, that used to be the Friends of Dorothy Canfield Fisher, that recently voted to change their name. So they're like the... The but, latest to get on the bandwagon and now are the friends of the Golden Dome or something like that. Yeah. I got it on a librarian listserv. But yes, it was on that list. <laughs> With, without getting too bogged down into it, folks, just so you don't have to look it up, there was things about the views of Dorothy Canfield Fisher that it was collectively decided, yeah, let's not have, let's not have her name on things. Yeah, and I'm very glad that they... they I think even when they were looking at... Um, changing the name there was no they were like let's not name a new award after a person yeah let's not have to do this again in future when we realize more things about whoever yeah so and which makes sense the other two state awards are the red clover award um which is our state flower and then um the green mountain book award which is for high school so it makes sense to name it after, like, a Vermont landmark and not a famous Vermonter who... You never know what will happen down yeah, the road. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so that's how you came across this one. Yes. Um, so, a little bit about the author. I'm I'm going to go with Kat Lay. That's the best I've got. Um, so, she uh, actually is a co-writer and a cover artist for Lumberjanes, which we have done a volume of volume up though she was not working on it yet for the volume that we covered okay so we haven't actually seen her work before though we have read something that she has worked on since so that might give you a general sense of tone and vibe so okay I'm going to tell, I'm going to warn you folks. Can I just oh. say by the way that I love all these little connections among the like queer like cartoonist slash like graphic novel community mm-hmm. you know between her and like noel stevenson and then noel stevenson's wife um who works on the witcher boy and that series and like, also love, works on the owl house and on the owl house and then you know you've got you can bring in like the the she-ra franchise into this and it's it's it's, it's lovely it is wonderfully intermixed so um My synopsis of this initially, dear listener, is going to be a little bit light. Here's why. I came into this and read this honestly having no clue. I I was given zero prep on this. I didn't even bother to read the back blurb before reading it. 
And as I realized the elements that were going to be introduced into it, every time one of them got introduced, I basically just squeed. And I got really excited and I choked up. And I am inclined to say that the best way to read this is as cold as possible. I'm still going to give a very general front end sort of initial starting premise synopsis and a couple of characters. We'll talk a bit about the broad strokes, but to really dig into this is going to be more what I would consider spoilers. Although I don't think we need to talk about a ton of the specifics of the ending necessarily, but things that I know I appreciated not knowing ahead of time. So yes, basically listen to the front end of this, go out and get it, read it, and then you can listen to the rest of this podcast. <laughs> yes. So I'm down with telling our listeners that. <laughs> so the title is actually the name of our lead character, uh, who's a young girl, uh, usually just called Snap. Mm-hmm. And it starts with her going to find her dog. And she, um, we don't get a ton of reasons to why she thinks this, but she ends up being right. She believes that her dog is currently um, in the house of what is believed to be the local witch. Um, and she does find her dog, who is now missing a leg, um, and uh, runs off. That does not slow the dog down, though. No. You're so no. cute. We can, we can talk about the, the dog, um, definitely. But let me, uh, let me just get it. All right. We'll come back. We'll come back. So, um, you know, what the, what the witch says is that he, you know, look, he was hurt by the roadside. I patched him up. That's why he's got a bandage. I'm sorry I couldn't save the leg. Uh, now just go ahead and go away. And Snap says, thank you, and leaves. And it kind of sticks with her a little bit. And she does end up coming back to the witch when she runs into another problem later. I'll sort of come back to that. We get introduced to Snap's mother, um, Violet, uh-huh. who uh, is a very busy single mom. She's taking classes. She's working jobs. She's obviously got a lot going on and Snap has kind of had to become kind of self-dependent just by necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, at school, she makes a friend with... I gotta, I gotta figure out how I want to address this up front. Well, it starts out this way. So, with a, with a young boy named Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they have a really lovely connection that develops over the course of this. And on the school ground, there's this dead possum that some of the other kids are basically, you know, sort of poking it with sticks and stuff like that. What Snap realizes is that cuddled underneath the possum were a whole bunch of babies. And she doesn't know what to do with them. So she takes them to the witch, the supposed witch, whose name is Jax. And from there, the two of them build a relationship as... Jax agrees to house the baby possums, but uh, Snap has to come over and help feed them. And um, also then eventually starts helping Jax with what she does for a living, which is reassembling animal skeletons and selling them online. Mm -hmm. And we then basically get the growth of the development of relationships between... Uh, Lewis and Snap, between Snap and Jax, and uh, sort of 
there's a little bit of, of self-discovery. I'm not going to get into specifics at this point, but it is absolutely LGBTQ plus friendly. And there are elements of that at various Multiple points. Multiple elements. Yep. At various points in the book. It's all really positive. And I, I, I have a few like little nitpicky things that I have to say for spoiler areas, but I did, I did really, really like this. Yeah, I think it would probably would have potentially made my top five as well had we read it when back when we were doing that list. I can tell you it would definitely make yeah, my, I my top so. five. You, the, yeah. Here's here's a big part of what really... I mean, first of all, the characters are wonderful and delightful, and the kids especially just feel very fully realized. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a parent of kids around her age, I don't know if they just say how old she is so. i don't think so either but like i get vibes off these kids not dissimilar from my own they're child. either like i'm thinking early middle school i think they might yeah. be a little older than your daughter but they're definitely like i would say at most like 13 yeah that might be a, between the ages of probably like 10 and 13 somewhere yeah um, but they're, they're really just well realized as characters in and of themselves. And then on top of that, what, what I really liked about the, um, the LGBTQ plus elements and angles that come in is that as they get introduced into the story, their presence is never questioned. Nobody in narrative stops and goes, that's weird. Or why are you like that? Yet at the same time, it's not like it's not like everything's brilliant and perfect and this assumption of, oh, well, everyone will just accept. But we we're not telling a story about that. It's well, eh, kind of, but it it doesn't necessarily dictate the story, but it is present in so many elements in a way that is it's simply there because that's just who these people are, and that's just the connections that get built and the simplicity and the unassuming nature by which these these elements get brought in, I thought was frankly beautiful. It's very much building your community, building your family kind of approach to the whole book and just yeah, finding the people that love and accept you for who you are and who you're becoming and going with that yeah you know? and sometimes refinding those people in your life too yeah so before we get into anything that would constitute more spoilery stuff let's talk about the dog oh my gosh the dog's so cute okay he is a little scrapper <laughs> and his his name his actual name is good boy he good boy because he good boy he good boy, <laughs> sometimes called GB, or sometimes called GBs. GBs. So Which, again, like, that's the exact kind of nickname my daughter would come up with <laughs> for a dog like that. He's like, he's, I think at least part bulldog or something. He's just a perky little happy, scrappy little dog he's, with three legs. Yeah. And he's just happy. He's got that kind of smush face, so I don't know whether it's whether it's Boston Terrier or Bulldog or French Bulldog or Pug even like, but they like, there's something of that sort of little squash face <laughs> thing going on, which I mean, those dogs are adorable. So mm -hmm. oh, yes. <laughs> I'm going to be partial to that. 
Um, we don't necessarily have to get into why yet, but I will ask, did you have any particular favorite characters in this? I, I really, it's hard to say a favorite character because honestly, this is one of the books we've had where like, the, it's a very, it's probably some of the strongest characters we've, we've seen. Yeah, and, the characterization's great. Um, so it's really hard for me to pick a favorite character. Um, I like the protagonist, which is always good when I like the protagonist. <laughs> it happens way less often than it should. It's not bad with graphic novels, but, um, I was thinking just recently, especially with why I like fantasy and dystopian, it's rare that I actually truly like the protagonist. So <laughs> this, yeah. She's a great protagonist. Um, Lou is great. Um, the mom is great. She's a good, you know, role model. Um, Jax is great. I don't know if I have a favorite. Why? Why did you ask me that? Did you think I would? I would. No, really I connect with one. Or? No, I didn't. I was. I was just asking to ask because I figure it's the last thing that we can talk about before getting into Isn't anything it serious. Spoilers. That, that is more. Did spoilery. you have a favorite? Um, I'm not sure I did either. I mean, <laughs> the one, the ones who touched me most are would be Lou and and Jax, but they're all fantastically fully fleshed out characters that you get who they are as people really quickly and they're just written really strongly there's there is no such thing as a bland character in this story it's it's really really well done and it's also very focused um you know on the characters that we've already mentioned it really does zero in and we get some flashbacks incorporating one other character but it's it's really it's nicely focused. It is a sweet story. You know what? It, honestly, it almost feels like an Americanized take on a Miyazaki story. Yeah, I could see that. How you're going there? The flashbacks, I also think, are really well done. Yes, they absolutely are. Like which sometimes they are, and they incorporate them really well and help unfold the parts of the story and relate to um sort of the folklore that snap's old own family has developed and things like that which we'll get into that more with the spoilers but it's just a nice weaving of you know growing up figuring out who you are finding a family with elements of like magic and like family folklore and things like that and it's 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 got a lot of great themes going on so i think yeah. we'll say that and then yeah i'll let you get into the spoilers because i know you're super excited about okay. this one so that this is your warning folks we are now going to start to get into more spoilers spoiler time i'm trying to think of where the heck i want to start spoiler related okay let's start with lulu okay which is why i kind of hesitated describing Lewis, because to call the character Lewis at by the time the story's done would be to dead name them because mm -hmm. Lulu is very much a young trans girl. And when Lulu is first encountered by Snap, it's just, it's very, you know, they're just kind of around each other and, and Lulu's a little bit drawn to her, but they don't really 
know too much about each other until he, you know, well, she, but he at the time mm-hmm. hollers to her walking her dog and they just start talking and they realize they both like this. How could you not bond over over good a boy. good boy. Because he good boy. I'm going to say that every time we say his name. I'm sorry, but he good boy. <laughs> he a good boy. Um, and they they start to bond over, you know, liking the same uh, series of movies uh, called, what is it? Witch's, Witch's Hill. Hill. Yeah. Um, and that starts the relationship. But what I really love about Lulu's gender journey is that it's it's never a primary focus but it is always present so like we'll see them hang out on the roof and lulu will just be painting her fingernails mm-hmm. and will want to paint snaps snaps like nah okay fine <laughs> you can paint my toes <laughs> i love that detail <laughs> and then later on during uh, a sort of a sleepover um, Lulu's generally stuck with hand-me-down clothes from her big brothers. Uh-huh. So she comes in with this shirt with dragons on it, and Snap really likes it. It's like, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I like that shirt too. And it's like, uh, can we, you know, trade, uh, you know, trade for stuff? And um, Lulu gets anxious about it, but then um, Snap has the idea to go through her mother's stuff and the stuff she knows her mother doesn't wear, and gives. Lulu a purple skirt and she is so happy and it's just from there the progression you know it being excited to throw her hair out yeah I know I love the mother's reaction too to seeing Vi's reaction so Snap's mother comes home and is really tired (laughs) and is just like is that my skirt and like Lulu's like yeah and she's like okay you know and lulu's like well you, you know snap said you didn't wear it much and she's like okay that's fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and just kind of is like all right yep and what what i even loved is you know what i was expecting mm-hmm. i was expecting some kind of beat about lulu getting picked on by her brothers because like it, it's kind of established as a slightly antagonistic they, you know, give her a hard time in general, even, mm-hmm. even before we start getting into her as a girl. But that never really happens. Like, they ne- they never, even when they're, like, picking on her, they still call her Lulu. Mm-hmm. And so, even though there's still an antagonistic... Old, sibling feel. Sibling thing, it is that. It's never about the fact that Lulu's a girl. It's just about the fact that Lulu's the youngest sibling, and the youngest sibling's got to get crap. That's yeah. that's just what happens. And Your friend's weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that kind of. Stuff. I was it, I was just really delighted to not see transphobia woven into that, and I suppose somebody could make an argument that it's less realistic to not have that come up in some way. But I think there's a lot of value in just letting it be and letting it go unchallenged. As just a fact of who this character is, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not it would be "quote unquote" more realistic for it to be brought up and questioned and challenged, like, but that's not what this story is, so we're not gonna do that. It's the Shit's Creek approach. That's what very much what they do when they bring in those elements is that yes, yes, there are gay characters and you know a couple and everything, and 
there's some characters where you'd think like, but well, they might challenge it, like somebody like Roland. But yeah. no, they're just like, oh, well, now you can help me pick out clothes <laughs> for my wife. You know, it's very much the acceptance and moving on, you know? Which is something I'm, I'm really starting to deeply appreciate in a lot more recent depictions. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think it's important to decouple the joining of a trans or LGBTQ plus narrative with confrontation, with a harsh pushback. As much as I know that that is the reality of many people's experience, I think it's important to not always present them as synonymous, that with one comes with the depression. other. yeah. Yeah, because then it reinforces this idea. Because like one of the saddest things that I'll hear um, people say or people will know that their parents thought was, oh my God, your life is going to be so hard mm. because this is who you are. And I yeah. really, I'm appreciating any piece of media that decouples the idea of being anything other than straight and cisgender and automatically having struggle as a result of that because they shouldn't go hand in hand. They frequently do. And again, I'm not denying that reality, but to have examples where like, no, one does not have to lead to the other. I just think it's just a good thing to have in the world. Yes, I agree. I think too, they're... There are, there are more than when we grew up in terms of depictions and everything. Yes. And there's so much more. And I think that has made for more acceptance. And like, especially with a lot of my students, I see that. And so, you know, having had a student that came out this year as transgender and was really nervous about it, but that it was just like, no, okay, cool. Your pronouns change, your name change. All right, okay, whatever. We it's a pandemic. We got other stuff to deal with, you know. Like, I I feel like we're getting to a place where there's not like, you know, there isn't. Not that there isn't oppression, because I've definitely seen that still, and there definitely is even within the educational settings I've dealt with. But I think there's just more representation out there and there's more awareness of it and I think that's helped a lot. It is and I mean we we do have to cop to speaking from a certain amount of privilege just because of where we live. Yes because this is very true. Because obviously we're at a point in time where a lot of states are considering or passing incredibly harmful transphobic laws so when we talk about things getting better, you know, we, we have to cop to our to a certain degree of our own privilege. Living in Vermont. Yeah, for living where we do. But, you know, this is part of the value of increased visibility and increased representation is to offer at least some kind of counterbalance to the horrible, harmful lies that are currently being pushed by people using trans identity as a political football. Yeah. So. I think it's so important to have books like that for kids in states where there is that kind of laws that are being discussed and passed and things like that, you know, that they have some kind of outlet and 
beauty, you know? Yeah. So. Um, so the other major LGBTQ plus aspect to talk about is Jax. Mm-hmm. And the backstory that we get where we realize that Jax, for a very long time, was um, a couple with Snap's grandmother. Mm-hmm. When they were young, yeah. Yeah. And first of all, the flashback is incredibly, unbelievably sweet and wonderful. And Jax, you know, used to used to ride in like dirt bike races and, and motorcycle races and caught the eye of this, um, of this woman. And I, I thought the relationship was beautiful. I thought the reason that they ultimately broke apart also felt very real. And is, I mean, it's a legitimate reason for any couple. Mm-hmm. Something we haven't mentioned split. yet too is race in this yes. book. So I think that's important is that, um, Snap and Vi and, you know, Snap's grandmother are all black. And I so... think Jax is the only named white character, actually. Because, like, there's a couple of white kids at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not... Uh, there's a bit with one of Vi's exes who I don't know for certain, but, like, he, he doesn't... I don't think he's white. But I think Jax is the only white person in this, to the point that um, I, I'm not going to give full context for this because it is at the very end. But like, um, J- Jack shows enough. up in a situation where somebody goes, "Who's that white lady?" Interestingly enough, this is by a white author too. Which, mm. um, yeah, I don't. I again, as a white person, I can't speak to the depictions very well and how well they're done, but. Um, yeah, that's obviously not really our thing to say, but what I will say is that... In terms of LGBTQ plus depictions, though, I think, yeah, they're really well They're wonderful. And I mean, to draw a comparison, you know, even though it's a cast of almost entirely black characters, that's a bit like the LGBTQ plus elements. That's just an element that's there and it's Mm -hmm. not dwelled on, but it, it... but it's not irrelevant. It does add to the flavor of things. Mm-hmm. But it's also not the the primary focus. Um, and I also do want to point out, because this is something I'm, I'm trying to have an increased awareness of myself, is that we not only have a decent number of, of black characters, but of varying uh, shades of skin tone in terms of darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not all presented as being the same shade. You know, Snap is a bit on the lighter side. Lulu is quite dark mm-hmm. skinned. Um, Vi is fairly dark. Mm-hmm. And it's... There it, may be some, like, mixed race situations too there might Snap. Be. Because we don't really know We don't know when... Yeah, we have no clue who her father is. So that... And that's distinctly possible. But again, we don't, we don't know. And it wouldn't really matter one way or the other. Um, but I do really appreciate the, the diversity of tone, uh, in terms of the, the skin color. Again, saying that as a white person. And body shape too. And yes, and body shapes as well. Um, because like with the flashback, which is sort of where we got into all this with Snap's grandmother, like she's gorgeous. She's absolutely gorgeous, but she's also not 
matching what would be considered the classic standard of beauty in terms of body shape. Mm -hmm. But like she's drawn absolutely stunningly and you get immediately why Jax would have been drawn to her. Um, the use of color in this book too to kind of soften things especially in the flashbacks and like you know when it's like the scary story or they're talking about the witch's hill or things like that it's really well done too I'm realizing like in terms of lighting the grandmother in terms of being like oh you know who yeah. she is when she's young they even do that so it's as you're flipping through it I'm realizing that yeah, there's a lot of good use of color to set mood mm -hmm. um, without having to change artistic style just in terms of making it gloomier in terms of the color palette for you know these sort of this sort of family folklore that's told as a scary story mm -hmm. um and things like that it's it's all really really wonderful now there's one other element which is the thing that i'm a little more mixed about I do like it. Ultimately, I do like it, but I, it's the thing I have, I have a few nitpicks on. That's the magic? That's the magic. So, with Jax, I said, you know, the supposed town witch, like, that's her reputation. Mm -hmm. um, but she also, yeah, kind of is a witch. Mm -hmm. And there's elements about that that I like, and then there's elements about that that I'm like, ah. And let me first start by saying that if the overall tone to the story prior to sort of learning more about Jax's witchiness, if the overall tone had been a little less grounded in reality and had been just as a background element a little bit more fantastical, I probably wouldn't have any of the issues I'm going to talk about. Ah, uh, okay. But the story overall was grounded enough mm -hmm. that I had hoped hoped mm -hmm. the idea of Jax as a witch would be more grounded in the way witches are mm -hmm. and have it be less outright fantastical. Mm -hmm. And I say that as someone from a family of witches. My grandmother was a witch. My mother is a witch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, living around that and there are certain elements of this that I, where I feel like it's, it's done very well. Mm -hmm. Like with the idea of just, seeing things that other people aren't seeing the way in which Jax interacts with the natural world around her that all feels really true and really respectful mm -hmm. I really like the connection to animals too yeah and that's that's a large part of it that's a huge magic. part and like I absolutely am here for that but sort of the moment where I where it started to lose me is when she does actually make a bench fly. Yeah, I get you. I was like, that's where you're going to get lost. Yes. I, I, I must know you or something. And it, like, let me be clear. It didn't lose me, but that was when I, re that's when I realized for certain, like, oh, we're not, we're not grounding this. We are going full fantastical with this, which again, doesn't make it bad, but it was disappointing for me, because I'd really hoped it would just be more grounded in, like, sensing natural en natural energies and, and being in touch with nature and animals and having a connection that other people don't have or don't see, and less about 
actually conjuring tangible magic. Yep. Uh, Which, again, doesn't make it bad, but I was a little bit disappointed by that just because what what I thought it might be, I wanted more than what it ended up being. Yes. But again, that's kind of a that's kind of a me thing. Can I say the clothes are kind of fun though, Jax? Though <laughs> because there is the outer like flowy black long robe layer with the like black hat, which isn't pointy but like long. It's it's got a wide brim. Wide brim. Um, but I love that like underneath it's like flowered shorts and a meowdy t shirt, yep. which is like a cat with like a cowboy hat, which I want a meowdy t shirt. <laughs> I gotta say. Um, so um, I like that there's a very, like, laid-back old person approach to clothing underneath the witch's robes. Yep, and she wears Crocs around the house. Crocs are really suddenly becoming very popular again. Like, they were, I feel like, maybe a little over ten years ago, and then, you know, here and there people wore them. They still, they never really went away, but I feel like they're coming back again. Oh, dear God, Why? Uh, they, I don't know. Pandemic. I'm going to say pandemic. Okay, fair. That's my answer fair. for everything. Like, I I get it. I, I, as someone who had to leave the house a lot <laughs> ever since August, I mean, I, I didn't have the, the croc approach, but <laughs> I totally understand people who have basically are now going out into society being like, I'm just going to wear my crocs. There was one other element to the magic that I wanted to bring up because it started to do something that I actually would have made me even more frustrated, but then it backpedaled on. I'm like, okay, that's better. It Because initially Jax kind of presents things like, okay, look, this is the correct way to do it. No, not that. You're not going to, it's not going to evolve this or that. But then by the end, owning up to the fact like, look, I don't actually know. And it's probably going to be different for you. And you're going to feel out. I'm like, thank you. Because if you're going to treat anything even vaguely hinting at, you know, how witches and magic kind of, you know, exists and people hold those beliefs in that life in the real world, then you need to expel this idea of here is the right way and here are the proper lessons and here's the proper... Like, no, this nonsense is intuitive as hell. You need to approach it that way. So I liked that they, they backpedaled on that and it was... Her just trying to present a, a front of knowing what she was doing when she, I mean, she does stuff, but she also kind of doesn't know what she's doing. And I'm like, okay, that, that's see, that's, fair. that's I mean, better. any of us, really. And that, that feels better to me. Can I ask what you think good depictions are of witches in media? Either books, movies, TV shows, whatever. If I find one, I'll tell you. You still have no I'm still, I'm still waiting. Like... Like, they always feel the need to eventually solidly identify whether or not magic is tangibly real or not. Mm -hmm. And the idea of answering that question at all, Mm -hmm. to me, at least for what I want to see, you should not be answering that question one way or the other. And it's more frustrating for me that it almost always gets answered in the affirmative, oh, yes, magic is definitely real. I'm like, if you could... If you, if magic could tangibly, visibly affect things this way, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a spiritual practice. It would be a science. And you have fundamentally misunderstood what the hell is even going on. Mm. So 
like I I haven't I haven't found it yet. And like and again, that's not to say that you can't have witches or magic and do it however you want, but if you're asking what's a better representation of what I'd like to see, I have yet to find it. It may well exist, mm -hmm. but I haven't seen it yet. I think it's interesting too that this is our second book in a row that deals with like <laughs> witches. That's true. That's... Very different depictions too. Oh well, I mean, when you're talking about witches in a superhero universe, that's that's going to be a it's whole its own, whole other yeah, kettle of worms. Bag of chips. Yeah. yeah, this is very much more grounded in reality and plus cute dog. Bonus points for good boy. Good boy. Good boy. He's a good boy. I think we... Do you want to end on that line? I think, no. I think we can end on that one. I, I, despite my nitpicks and my little rambles, I recommend this extremely highly. And in this, I still think um, Prince and the Dressmaker is going to edge it out. And I connected with that just a little bit more. But I... I felt this one, and I got choked. It's, it's really good. I got choked up reading this. Not <laughs> yes, you told me. Yeah, and not because it's sad, because I just got so emotional just seeing oh, these oh. things depicted plainly, like it's no big deal, and to see multiple layers of that brought in. I I was really touched by this. I thought it was wonderful. So. Oh on that note, we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll do listener feedback. All right, our bags are packed and we got the snacks. It's time for the Lombox Crusade road trip to the Lombox Mobile crew. Check on, check check on. on. Dang it. Everyone buckled up. Here we go. Well, now that the garage is empty, Gene will have more space to record episodes of LBC Irregulars, the indexing of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes TV series. Oh no. Did anyone remember to leave Clinton some food down in the basement? He's gonna need it as he makes more episodes of Fan Film Fridays, his ongoing look at online fan films. Why are you speaking in such a scripted manner, Dark Web? Anyway, you can relax. I asked Rick, or was it Jeff? Who can remember? I asked the attic guy to come down from time to time to check in on Clinton. You know, take some breaks from recording Monday Movie Muck About, his movie review show. Weasel Skull, did you give Rick the key to the basement? Key. Sounds like LBC headquarters is in good hands, Death Probe. Right you are, Christados. Oh, Pat, can we stop off at KB Toy Store? I'm going to pick up some Transformers and G.I. Joes. They remind me of Transformers Chronicles and G.I. Joe Chronicles. Our show's going through the Marvel run of Transformers comics and the Devil's Do run of Joe comics. Well, while you guys are doing that, we can also stop by a Blockbuster video and get some tapes to watch for action film face-off. That's the show where we discuss two action films and have them duke it out to see which one is the episode champion. Is that VHS or beta? Yeah, either one is fine. We've got a lot of stops to make, but if we can, let's squeeze in the Walden books and score some comics for us to talk about on Crusader Chronicles, the show where we move chronologically through the Amazing Spider-Man comics and include a bonus issue from the same release date as the Spidey recovery. I will definitely keep an eye out for our Walden books. It'll come in handy for the pure Lombox Crusade episodes. Our time capsule show where we take a deep dive into a randomly selected comic and talk about news, music, and movies, and ads that were popular when the books were released. I'll also be on the lookout for our electronic boutique, EB, if you guys don't know the lingo back then, so we can get some more comic-related video games for us to discuss on Comics to Council Crusade. Good thinking. If time permits, let's hit Circuit City. I need more positrons for our pop culture positcast show. 
the one where we find all the good stuff in pop culture, the others seem to poo-poo. Positrons? Shut up and go with it. These old-timey, out-of-business store jokes doing anything for you folks? Well, if you like old-timey stuff, we also offer Saturday Matinee Theater. Our look back at old TV shows, serials, and films that have kind of been forgotten. I think that about covers it. We definitely want to be your road trip crew, folks. Whether it's your commute to work or a road trip of your own, why not pass the time with us, your friends at the Long Box Crusade? Once again, that's Long Box Crusade, available on all your finer podcatchers. Good job, team. I'm getting hungry. Pat, stop at the next Kenny Rogers Roasters that you see. Or Pentagons. Burger Chef! And we're back, folks, and we're going to take a look at listener feedback left at fireandwaterpodcast.com on our last episode, which was about Scarlet Witch, Witch's Road. You want to take the first one? Yes. So Ryan Daly says, Prior to Disney buying out Fox and reacquiring the movie rights to the X-Men characters, there was a peak period where Ike... Perlmutter wanted Marvel to downplay the mutants as much as possible while still selling the books. One of the consequences of this push was a retcon of the prior retcon (laughs) that Wanda and Pietro were no longer the children of Magneto and thus no longer mutants. With this new status quo, there was a ton of backstory and explanatory ground to cover. James Robinson picked Wanda up and really cultivated this entire magical legacy and lineage for the character that was hardly ever there previously. And and he did a pretty good job with it, but I've never been able to shake the impression I had when I read this series a few years ago that Robinson was writing a DCU Zatanna story and putting Marvel names on it. Oh, Ryan knows Zatanna a heck of a lot better than I do, so if he says that's the vibe he got, I'm inclined to believe him. I love Ryan's post because there's so, like, so much backstory and history and knowledge to it, so it's nice whenever he posts. Yeah. That... Hint, hint, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird period, and, like, what was extra weird, uh, I won't... I'll try not to dive too much into this. What was extra weird about it when the mutants and X-Men were getting downplayed as much as possible in the comics because Ike Perlmutter didn't like the fact that a different company would benefit from the movie rights um, was that not only was Wanda made to no longer be Magneto's um, daughter, they then used Wanda to depower the vast majority of mutant characters so they took one of the be- one of the best known and granted it was initially a retcon but one of the best known mutant characters not only unmutant her but then use her to like wipe a whole bunch of mutants off the map. It's really kind of messed up. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. That said, I I agree with Ryan that, you know, James Robinson trying to make lemonade out of the lemons and focusing in on a magical lineage. That's that. That was a, that was a decent angle to take it from given the situation, the character was in at the time. Uh, next up, we had a comment from Brian Linton. Oh dear. WandaVision spoilers. I'll have to come back to this episode (laughs) after I've had a chance to finish watching the series. I'm looking forward to hearing this one because, as I mentioned last month, my daughter is a Scarlet Witch fan. In addition, her birthday is coming soon, and I'd love to find a good Scarlet Witch uh, trade paperback to give her. Could this be the one? We'll see. Uh, Tim Price replied to that, noting that there aren't really very many um, Scarlet Witch trade paperbacks, which I can 
attest to, at least ones that focus exclusively on her. There's some with her and Vision that you can find, and she's in a lot of the Avengers stuff. But uh, they they had a little back and forth there. So Tim did have um, some recommendations if people want to go and see those in the comment section. Right. And Liz Ann Oswald says, Impressive podcast, most impressive. Ah, these comics. Well, Steve's artwork is good. WandaVision, yeah, they, we did have a lot of back and forth on, like, which artwork we liked. And yeah. it was varying. Yeah. Um, WandaVision was a fun show, and it's superhero, and it's superhero, it needs to end in a big fight. Freud moments or not. Needs the big fight scene. And I like the TV version of Agatha better than the comics. Sorry, I like that song. I like that you used it in your <laughs> <laughs> review. <laughs> Oy, the name they gave to Quicksilver, though. Sigh. Though the show was fun, I was glad to see the vision back. Darcy and Jimmy were cool in this. Um, and then Liz Ann goes into some um, thoughts and um, things about um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, so if you want to look at, through those, um, you can uh, read through her comments. Yep. And finally, we heard from Tim Price said, the rotating artist seems to be such a modern thing. I'm really of a mixed mind on it. If I view it as an artist showcase with various one-and-done stories, then it can be fun. If it's during a lengthy storyline, the most modern like most modern decompressed comics are, then it becomes disjointed. This series is somewhere between the two, and I feel it leans towards the first, so it didn't bother me much, but... That's considering this as single issues. If you're going to package it as a trade, that's a whole different product and a different sensibility. So I think it works for the ongoing series, but a bad move for the trade paperback. And, it, and that is far too much about that point. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you got to this while WandaVision is still relatively fresh. Shortly after the show started, I thought, I know there's a Vision series I never read. I should check uh, that out in case it relates to the show. Hmm. And what Scarlet Witch series haven't I read either? Which got me to check this one out. Overall, I'm glad I did. Future issues give more about Wanda's character, and yeah, the series is mostly about, quote-unquote, the mission, and Snarky Agatha Ghost is fun. Thanks for a great episode, my punchers. Thank you very much, Tim. Yeah, uh, the the switching artist, it, it is interesting because doing it issue for issue... Like this, especially when each story was fairly self-contained in mm -hmm. each issue, it it's odd because you're right, Tim. It does make for a more awkward read collective for the trade, which is interesting if only because it seems like almost all comics these days are written for the trade as opposed for the individual issue. Mm, so yeah. it, it's actually kind of interesting that we've now read something that's like, this would have worked better as individual issues. And I'm he over here thinking, when was the last time I could say that about a trade collection ever? Mm. It really doesn't feel like it happens anymore. The first time I remember coming across multiple artists on something, like with significant stylistic changes, was actually The Sandman um, mm. series. That's, I was actually thinking of the Graveyard book. Um, because I've read, yeah, yeah. The, the graphic novel version, the first volume of that, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing to note difference-wise with Sandman was that they generally had the same artist for the entirety of an arc over mm -hmm. multiple issues before switching over, and that started out of necessity because Sam Keith and Neil Gaiman were clashing a little bit by the end of the first 
arc. So they parted ways and they brought a new one in. And then I think they, again, making lemonade out of the lemons, got the idea of, you know what? Actually, every time we start a major arc, why don't we bring somebody else in? Um, but yeah, that that's not quite the same as issue by issue. But that's the first time I remember noting it, which would have been, I think, Sandman started in 89. So primarily 90s mm. for that. And it was it definitely stood out at the time, or at least I read it in the early two thousands, and it was new to me even then. So it certainly wasn't typical um, at that point. But yeah, thank you very much for the feedback. Uh, we ran a little long on this one, but this is what happens, folks, when something really connects. <laughs> I'm get gushy. <laughs> I am pretty sure we ran long when we talked about uh, Prince and the Dressmaker too. So <laughs> this this. Maybe this should be your your clue in, folks. If if you see an episode that runs for 40 minutes or longer, then it's probably got some LGBTQ plus stuff that I'm going to gush about for a while. Yep. So, <laughs> we'll wrap it up there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye.